Hey, Team 22, welcome back to another episode of the HHA USA podcast. This week, Chris is speaking with Robert Cheddar Smith, car chief of the Kevin Harvick car for Stuart Haas Racing. During their conversation, they span everything from NASCAR to bow hunting, religion, the passion for supporting service members and their families, and the story behind Robert's nickname, Cheddar. Let's join the conversation with Chris and Robert now. Anybody that has tuned into my podcast or follows me on social media knows that I am I'm a NASCAR fanatic. I, I love NASCAR. I love surprisingly I don't have a fast car myself and they, they always do these things, you know, where you can do a ride along and that that might even be a little bit above my pay grade. I think that would kind of freak me out, but I love I love watching fast cars on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on TV and even more so at the track. And um just been blessed with a lot of great friendships in professional sports over the years. And it was only about a decade ago that I finally got a got an end to NASCAR and I was I was a kid in the candy store the first time I got to go into the NASCAR garage and and see what happens behind the scenes on a race weekend. And one of the guys that I've had the pleasure to meet, uh, become friends with here over the last few years is uh, is Robert Smith. Robert is uh, is a Wisconsin native and uh, and is the car chief for Kevin Harvick for Stuart ha- Stuart Haas Racing. And uh, I've got him on the podcast today. So, brother Robert, what is uh, what's going on today? Hey man, what's going on? It's awesome to uh, finally link up with you on here and have an opportunity to record this. I'm uh, looking forward to see where this ends up. Uh, you know, it's been fun getting to know you, and we certainly forged a good friendship pretty quickly. So this will be a lot of fun. No, that we uh, that we have, and I apologize. I know we were going to record about a month ago, and then I just uh, you're a busy guy. I'm a busy guy, and I just had too many plates spinning. And I mean, this is not a podcast that I I make a uh, living off of. So it's like, man, I just got to take one of the plates out of circulation for a couple of weeks and we were ready to record. And you were my, you were my next guy on tap. And I'm like, dude, I'm taking a little break from the podcast, but, but I'm going to have you on when I get back. And I tell you what, taking that little, it, it was only two weeks. I mean, at the time I took off, I didn't know if it was going to be two weeks, two months. I just knew I needed to, to step away for a little bit. And I have come back fired up recharged and man i tell you the podcast guests that i've had on here no no pressure but i've had some of the best conversations i think that i've had in almost 100 episodes and i I know this is gonna gonna live up to the billing so yeah sometimes you need that break you know but um i'm glad you take care of yourself i think that's important for everybody it is and that's something that i'm learning more and more i mean as uh you know obviously nascar does a ton of stuff with the with the veteran community i know you've got friends that that have served and are serving in the military. And I mean, when you talk about PTSD and just mental health in general, I mean, it's uh, self-care and, and taking care of our own bodies and our own minds is important regardless of what line of work we're in. I mean, you and I aren't putting our lives on the line halfway around the world or out on the streets of, uh, of this great country we live in, but, but we still have, we still have stuff and you need that time away to recharge and, uh, no, you hit the nail on the head. And I know just from following you on social, I know when you're not at the racetrack, you love to be around your family. You love to be out in the outdoors. And, and I think it's pretty safe to say that that's kind of your, your reset that you get. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We have racing always offers this incredible platform to meet a lot of great people. And the thing that I have found is when you slow down a little bit, you meet them on a, 
more personal level, you know, you can share more stuff and nothing, nothing outdoors. There's nothing closer to God than being outdoors for me. You know, I just had this talk with one of my friends the other night. We were sitting explaining how sitting in a stand and watching the woods come to life and wake up for the morning. And then, you know, and having that, it's like putting pictures from the Bible, right? You can physically see God's work. And I think that's so important. And I have found such solitude in just being in the outdoors and spending time just doing those things. And sometimes I forget I even have a bow and arrow with me. Yeah. It, uh, it's funny how our perspective shifts as we get older. Cause I mean, as a, as a, you know, 12 year old in Wisconsin trying to shoot my first deer. And then, you know, once, once I became proficient with the bow, it's like, what's the, what's the body count going to be? How many deer can I put in the freezer in any given year? And I remember it was probably back in the gosh, late nineties, early two thousands. There was a lot of deer in Wisconsin. I mean, you could basically go as and buy as many antlerless tags as you wanted. And it seemed like every other weekend, you know, my dad and I were sitting at the, at the kitchen table butchering a deer. And I mean, we, we gave a lot of deer away to family and friends that year. And it was a, there was a stretch there where I was, you know, I went through a lot of aluminum arrows back in the day when that was going on. But I mean, that was 25 years ago. And I mean, I had a stretch where I went, I think I went, I think I only shot, I've only killed two bucks with my bow in the last 10 years. They were both good ones, but that's just not important anymore. It's just being out there. And like you said, just, just seeing that sun go down and and watching God's creation in front of you. It's like, you just get this little, little peek into what it's going to be like to be in heaven. I think. Yeah. You know, you talk about taking a break and, and and sitting out and, and how your perspective shifts. And so I grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, just South of Whitewater a little ways. And my father you know, it was my grandfather's farm. So I spent a lot of time on the farm, but my father did surveying and stuff for the state. He wasn't actually a farmer, but my grandfather was on my mom's side. So I spent, you know, every summer baling hay and milking cows and doing, just living the farm life. But, you know, my dad was really the outdoorsman. He's the one that kind of led me that direction and, and raised me in the woods. And, you know, sometimes it was a lesson of what to do and sometimes a lesson of what not to do. Cause you know, I think, you know, conservation has changed and tactics have changed and you know everything's advanced so far now with scent control and camouflage and all those types of things but one thing my dad really instilled in me is you know you were going to be a conservationist and you were going to do it right you were going to have respect for the animals but man we we harvested deer because that was a way of life i mean it was it was part of staying alive and filling the freezer for the winter and feeding the family and you know that was just what we did and so when I moved down to North Carolina for NASCAR and to pursue my dream of working on a NASCAR team, it was 2002 and I was 18 years old and I didn't hunt or get out in the outdoors for, man, I don't know, probably 15 years anyways, before I even dabbled back into it. So I kind of took a break from it. Um, you know, I really put my NASCAR career first and I really pursued that really, really hard. Um, and and thankful for the opportunity to do that. You know, it's not a, it's not something that I regret by any means, but as I started achieving more and, and climbing the ranks in NASCAR and, and became a car chief and realizing actually how, how fortunate I am and, but carrying the pressure of that, I needed an outlet, you know, and to find a healthy one was really important to me. And I think that's kind of how I got back into 
hunting and fishing. You know, I have found that North Carolina has some really great bass fishing and I enjoy that. And I do that pretty relentlessly, but you know, I'm always making time to shoot my bow and get ready for the fall. Cause I know that season's coming and it just pairs so well with my season ends in November. Our last race this year is going to be November 5th in Phoenix. I get home and the very first thing that I have to do, because you're, you're working on this adrenaline high, you're competing at the highest level. You're just working as diligent as you can, you know, just no, no set hours. It's just relentless work to build race cars and compete through the playoffs. And when that comes to a screeching halt, the thing I had to realize was there's a transition period. There's a time that you come home and you look around and there's no more fans screaming for you and there's no more loud race cars. And frankly, you had to find something to do. And so being able to go away and sit in the tree stand and, and have that time and that clarity just to seek that clarity was so healthy and so good for me. It really motivated me and drove me to get into archery hunting. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys in the garage that, that hunt. I mean, I'm, I'm finding that out and found that out pretty quickly. And I can't remember before we hopped on here, I was trying to think who introduced us and I don't know if it was Kevin wing, maybe it was Kevin wing. Yep. He's That's the what one I thought. Much. Yep. And I mean, he's uh Kevin I think at the time Kevin was a gas man for uh, for Roush. That's right. And he's been he's been out of NASCAR for what maybe two or three years now. Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, Just an incredible human being though, and an incredible teammate. I've had him for both. I raced with him and against him, and you don't ever want to race against him. He's a great dude. Yeah, he just uh, you know really took a liking to him. Holly and I met him in the garage at Darlington back in twenty. I think we went there in twenty sixteen, twenty fifteen, or twenty sixteen. And cool story. I don't want to get off on a squirrel trail here, but he was telling me, he's like, yeah, it was about 20 years ago. He's like, I've been shooting your product forever. And I had, he still had the picture on his phone of this old, I mean, I'm talking like circa 2002, 2004 HHA site. And he's like, I sent it back. I had something wrong with it. And this guy emailed me. He's like, yeah, we'll get that fixed up for you. And I had it back in like a week. He's like, I don't know if that guy's still there or not, but you got to give him a pat on the back. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you're talking to him yeah, because, that's awesome. <laughs> because back in 2002 or 2003, we had one email address and it was coming right to me. So that was me that you were talking to. So just kind of a cool story, but, but no, what a good dude. And I know, you know, just from following him on social media, I think his kids are both into, it looks like bike racing. So they're out doing that all over the place now. And he's, he's a full-time dad now and his time in NASCAR is over, but, uh, but obviously he still spends time to get into the outdoors too, but it's just, uh, it's been cool for me to, you know, as a, I, I took my fanboy suit off a long time ago. I, I had that the first couple times I was in the garage, but I was down in Daytona when you and I saw each other for, you know, the 500 weekend and, um, all apologies to, uh, to Stuart Haas, but huge Jimmy Johnson fan, huge Jimmy Johnson fan. And obviously Jimmy, you know, bought into legacy and came back and ran in the 500 and about an hour before, uh, pre-race I'm in the garage and I think it was, uh, I can't remember who the guy was. There was a celebrity there and they basically shut the garage down for him. And it's like, I get it. But uh huge sea of people parts after, after they, um, this guy got through and I'm walking through the garage trying to, I think was trying to meet up with you and my buddy's right behind me. And all of a sudden Jimmy is like right there. It's like, there's this huge sea of people and there's Jimmy in his Carvana fire suit. And I just tapped him on the shoulder. I'm like, Hey, good luck today, champ. You know, and it was just literally just passing in the garage. 10 years ago, I'd have been like the fanboy. 
but I literally get out of that sea of people and there's a Korean war vet like 20 feet in front of me. I see that, you know, the Korean war hat sticks out like a thumb, sore thumb in the, in the garage. So I go over and I talk to that guy for like 10 minutes, give him a challenge coin. We're taking pictures. And my buddy, Jesse's like, that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. Chris Ham's a huge NASCAR fan. He sees his hero and basically gives him a high five. And then he goes and spends 10 minutes with this, with this Korean war vet in the garage. And it was just, I don't know why I'm telling that story. And I think I might've told it on the podcast when Jesse was on, but it was just, it was cool. I just, I, I, this cool. I, love- you know, I think that's something that makes NASCAR so special is the interactions that we allow the, the, the act, amount of access that's allowed to the fans. So not only are you allowed to be close to your hero in that story, but we also have it accessible where there's able to have veterans and stuff down in the trenches with us regularly. Like I can't tell you how many times, you know, NASCAR in our garage area that I've, I've met some veterans or saw some, some vets hanging out, you know, and it's so easy to strike up a conversation and get them involved and give them some access to get some closer pictures of the car. And I think, you know, I would argue with people that I think NASCAR is something that we do really right. You know, nothing's perfect and I don't think any sport is, but we, we have that access to our fans and we can really, I feel like our sport and our garage, we really cater to law enforcement, vets, active service members. You know, I know personally on the four car with Stewart house racing that we have partners that would almost be, that would certainly be disappointed if we didn't act in that manner. You look at Scott hunt from hunt brothers pizza in Nashville. He has his own challenge coin and he has made it his personal agenda and goal to get pizza on every army base. And before he goes, he personally goes there and checks out the security for his people and he gets it implemented and he, he makes it just so that the, Soldiers on that base have something that relate minds them of home, you know, and that's his only agenda in doing it. So it's incredible. People like Realtree, you know, you get Bill and Tyler Jordan hanging out with you and you see how much stuff they do for the vets and do things in the sport. And I love it. And it's been easy for me to make a career in NASCAR because of those interactions in those times. I love hearing stories like your story. That's awesome. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, people that are just part of the, you know, listening to this podcast, maybe that just watch a race on a Sunday or that watch, you know, real tree outdoors, they think, oh, Bill Jordan's this rich guy and he just, he's going all over the world, killing big bucks. Well, yeah, maybe he's doing that, but, but he's a, he's a real human being that has a passion for our servicemen and women. Oh, and, huge passion. And, 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 you know, I don't, I don't like when people look at me like that, but they're like, oh, there's Chris Ham. He's one of the owners of HHA. I put my pants on one leg at a time, just like everybody else. I love our veterans. So it was, and maybe that's what I love about the NASCAR experience is that I get to, I get to be off the grid and people don't see Chris Ham, the HHA sports or the HHA USA guy that weekend. I'm just the, I'm just a NASCAR fan that's in my element and I get to have great conversations with you and I get to meet Korean war vets. Both times I've been in Daytona, the last two times I've been down there, I, I had uh, photo ops with the Thunderbirds. Yeah, we, we did. We did that in your hauler. We, we were in your hauler for the duels yeah, a few years ago. I remember that? That was awesome. And, and it's cool because Kevin is. I think that you guys were racing in the second duel that night. Kevin and Cole Custer were sitting up in the front of of your rig, and, and you can see them over my shoulder. And I mean, no offense to Kevin Harvick, I love the guy, but I wasn't concerned about meeting Kevin. I was sitting there hanging out with the Thunderbirds, and I just thought it was awesome. Yeah, you know, I think that's exactly right. And you know, that was a really special time because. 
you know, sadly, one of the Thunderbirds that had really become a big fan of ours, and he flew the number four jet. And so he had passed in a training exercise in California. And so, you know, naturally, our, our marketing group put a big initiative together, got his family involved and got them to the race. And we really celebrated his life, you know, and helped them do that. And they were beyond appreciative for that. And it was a really special time. And I remember that. But that's why the Thunderbird team always comes and finds us when they do the flyover and they're present at the track. So that's really what gave you the ability to have that photo op. But, you know, Kevin would love to hear that story, too, because he doesn't want anybody to worry about him if the Thunderbird guys are around. You know, Kevin's just like you. He's like, man, let's wake up. And his number one agenda for the day is to be a great dad. You know, he wants to put his pants on just like everybody else, too. So, you know, definitely no uh, no disrespect in that by any means, because that's exactly how he'd want you to act. And that's exactly how he'd want any of us to act, you know. Give thanks for thanks is due. He's just driving a race car. Yeah. Well, I've never had the opportunity to meet him. Maybe I will at some point. I mean, you and I have talked about doing an event possibly in Charlotte with, with NASCAR and archery. I would love to that for that to come to fruition, but maybe, maybe he won't be, who knows, maybe he'll be busier when he gets into the broadcast booth next year, but I've, I'll, I'll be at the 500 again. So maybe, maybe I can, uh, can get five minutes with him and tell him that story. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can make that happen. So, and it's funny because I mean, I've been a Hendrick fan since I started. I mean, Kevin, Kevin was a hothead back in the day. And, uh, you know, he was one of those guys. It's like, Oh man, I want Jimmy to beat him. But then the, the more that he's grown in his career, I think as he's had a family and, and has kids of his own now, it's just like he, he's become the elder statesman in the garage. And I just, I have a, a crazy amount of respect for Kevin Harvick. I mean, the guy's a, the guy's a champion beyond just the, the cup series trophy that he's got. I think he's just a, Seems like a great human being. Obviously, you work with him day in and day out, and have for a long time. And it's it's probably going to be a be a sad day when uh, when number four pulls in in Phoenix. Yeah, it's a bittersweet situation. You know, we're staring staring at the horizon of that. And I think the biggest thing for us is we've forged such a friendship. You know, there's a lot of us left on the team that initially started the team. We haven't had a lot of turnover on our team. We've been promoted some people. Um, from our original group and, and they're still in the company and, and a couple people left, but for the most part, we really have a strong core group, but there's so much mutual respect there. And we understand so well why he's deciding to retire when he is, that I don't think anybody has any um, hard feelings or resentment. You know, we're going to miss the guy for sure, but you know, I say good things about him habitually and people just, you know, they'll make the comment like, Hey, you must, you know, I understand you're saying that, but you work for him, so you have to. And I'm like, no, I'm not that kind of person. And I think you know that personally because of our friendship, but you know that I would not brag on the man if it wasn't warranted. But watching him come to 2014, I remember everybody saying, you're going to go work for him? That's that's your next career move? He's kind of a hothead. He's going to yell at you. He's got a temper. And I'm like, yeah, but he can win. So that's what I was initially attracted to. And boy, I tell you, after you end up working with him and realize how in tune he is with the sport and every facet of the sport, how smart he is, how engaged he is, how hard he works at his craft, man, it was 100% the right decision. He's he's an incredible human being. And like I said, he's a pretty good race car driver, and that doesn't compare at all to what he can do as a father. Like Watching him have his kids and raise his family has been my most enjoying part of the last 10 years for sure. That's awesome. And I just my, my father-in-law is a Vietnam vet. Uh has really been instrumental in my my faith journey but he's a huge nascar fan too so i mean we talk nascar at church at family get-togethers we're always texting back and forth during the race and he's 
he had the same opinion of, of Kevin that I did early in his career, that he was kind of a hothead, but has agreed that he's, you know, he's matured and he's become the elder statesman. But he, he and I are both excited to see Kevin in the booth next year because he's so intelligent. And it's like watching him do some of these races. It's like, oh, this guy's going to do this. And, and sure enough, a lap or two goes by. He did exactly what Kevin did. I mean, I think of Tony Romo when he went into the booth after playing football. It's kind of how yeah. Tony Romo was. It's like, oh, he could see the formation. It's like, yep, this is going to happen. And I feel like Kevin's going to be that for NASCAR. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just, you know, like you said, you said it best. Kevin's a champion of the sport, but he's he's bigger than that. He's been a team owner and won championships as an owner. He's a driver and won championships as that. Anytime you talk about somebody that's in the top 10 of the all-time wins list at anything, right, They're they're incredible. But his passion to continue to grow the sport is I think one thing that's overlooked at how special he is. He, he can ride off in the sunset. He, he doesn't need to get in the booth. He doesn't need to buy the cars tour and ensure that there is really successful and competitive late model racing for the youth of America for years to come. Right. But him and Dale jr. Are, are passionately trying to support motorsports and continue the growth of that. And that's what motivates him and fuels him to do that. It's not, you know, a financial obligation for him. You know, he's very blessed and he, but he is appreciative of what the sport has rewarded him and feels the obligation to give back to the sport. And I think that's awesome. No, I love that. I mean, obviously putting on a fire suit and putting on a, putting on a camouflage uniform and running around in the desert, killing the bad guys, two different things. But I mean, Kevin is, Kevin is serving his community once he, once he hangs up the helmet. Yeah. You know, my brother's in the army and he's active duty and I'm forever incredibly proud of him. He's, he's, he's made a very, very incredible career in the army. You know, he's a West Point grad and we joke all the time that there's so many parallels between NASCAR and the service. The only difference is the guys in NASCAR aren't heroes. You know, we're not, we're not protecting and serving, but there's a lot of similarities in lifestyles and a lot of similarities in just our everyday stories, you know? And so it's always funny to make that comparison and, and I certainly agree with you. We're, we're we're not anything compared to somebody in the service and in that way. But when it comes to giving back and serving and and the travel and the and the and the, those types of things, there's a lot of parallels for sure that we make. Yeah, and I mean just being being a fan of both communities and not being a, a part of either one of them for my day job. Just seeing the NASCAR community and seeing the vet first responder community, I see the community there. I see the brotherhood. I see the camaraderie, and I, I there's definitely a lot of similarities there. Yeah, I mean, it's just how you fraternize with one another. I think it's it's pretty special, you know. And I think the the qualities of of trust and and learning to depend on one another and those types of things. And and I think that's what's so great about NASCAR. You know, you look at a NASCAR, and you know, I talked about how we integrate really well with with armed services and veterans, and have those present. It's because we understand one another so well. I think that that kind of that tie is there, and I think that's what makes us comfortable to do that. We ha- we share a lot of the same beliefs and views. Yeah, I mean, I and I just having been to probably fifteen or twenty races over the year, and, and maybe the better part of half of those being able to be down in the garage for them, and just seeing the the presentation that NASCAR is, I mean, being a Christian, I love the fact that, you know, you can turn on the TV and they actually say a prayer before the national anthem. That's awesome. They roll out the flag and just the, just that support. I mean, my hands down, my favorite weekend of the year, race weekend of the year is the Coke 600. I mean, that being, being a, a 
huge NASCAR fan and a supporter of our military. Obviously, it's a very somber weekend as we're supposed to remember those that, that did not make it home for our freedoms. But then, you know, with the initiative that NASCAR's done with the NASCAR salutes and putting those names on those cars, just from a fan standpoint, I love it. And I can't imagine the impact that you've seen and just how special that's been for you to be a part of that for those families. Yeah. Anybody that's been around that, first of all, thank you for saying that. And I echo that fully that the Coke 600 weekend is hands down by far the most moving and the most touching weekend of our sport and our, and of our schedule for the season every year. Um, what NASCAR does and Marcus Smith does at Charlotte motor speedway, because really he drives a lot of that initiative as well. Cause he it really weighs heavy on his heart and it's important to him that we salute those people. But anybody that's been involved to see, like, I remember the first time they approached me and they were going to do that. And we were going to carry that service member's name on our windshield. And we we're going to have the family present and we were going to do these different things. I was like, well, that's, that's pretty neat. You know, let's see how that goes and how it's received because that's ultimately the judge that matters. And seeing these families, buddy, when you, when you're taking their picture at the car and you got a big guy like me, trying to hold back some tears because it's just what it means to them. I mean, and how good NASCAR does like this year at the Coke 600, we had some unfortunate weather. You can't control that. NASCAR stopped everything in the garage area and said, Hey, we're going to give these families 30 minutes to spend with the cars and receive the pictures they deserve. And I was like, hats off to you. What a great call. And what a great way to still take a situation and manage it in the right way and have those people have that time and, I've always been blessed with incredible families that were so thankful and so appreciative and just being able to see the emotion on their face, you know, mothers that finally feel like they have some closure and and break down in tears. And you're like, man, I can't believe that our little sport can mean that much to somebody. But I'm telling you, like this year, especially I was standing in the garage area and I was taking pictures and it did all I could do not to break into tears myself. You know, it's just that special. Yeah, we went out, uh, I think it was 2019. Like I said, my father-in-law was a Vietnam vet, and it's always been my dream to go to the 600. So we drove from Wisconsin to Charlotte that weekend, and it was hot. It was 95. And I remember sitting in the stands, and I'm just sweating up a storm. And during the pre-race ceremonies, I'm crying, and I'm sweating, and I got salty tears in my eyes. And it's like, you know, I kind of look over. I'm, I'm not crying. You're crying. One of those moments. But Yeah, for sure. How how special, and I mean, I, I want to get back out to the 600, and I would really like if and, and when we do an event in Charlotte, I would love for that archery event to take place around that weekend or the weekend leading up to the 600, because I think it would be so special to, to be there with a group of veterans on that weekend. Yeah, that'd be really cool. I think, I think it's not a matter of if, I think it is a matter of when. You know, I think God will lay the groundwork for us to know when that time is right, but yeah, we'll be ready uh, to perform. I won't leak that out on this podcast, but he's already kind of put that date in my, in my, on my radar. So, uh, a few, few more conversations with, uh, with him and with a few other people, but that's, uh, that's going to happen sooner than later, Lord willing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So you've been to the 600. What was your favorite race that you've been to? Is it the 600 that you went to or what? I think so. I mean, my guy didn't win. I think Truex won that race, but I mean, just the, just for everything, for, for as much as I love our veterans, that was, that had to be my, my favorite yeah. race. 
Yeah. That's interesting. And to be there with my father-in-law and and my, you know, my wife, I mean, the three of them have just been instrumental in my faith journey. So to be able to travel across the country and experience that weekend with them is something that I'll, I'll never forget. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I'm, I love hearing people's stories about NASCAR and, and truthfully, my favorite isn't even, um, friends like you that are already interested in NASCAR. The people that I enjoy the best to come to the races are the people that don't like NASCAR. That's the, always the most enjoyable for me. I'm like, well, that's okay. If it's not your interest, come one time and let me give you a shot and see if I can change your mind. You know, those are the stories that I love. So, you know, getting people out and, and they don't expect that kind of access. You know, they just envision sitting in a bleacher and they compare it to the stick and ball sport where they're just going to sit for a few hours and watch the event and leave. And when they come down and we get them in the pits and they get to see and hear and smell all the sounds and sights in the garage area. And like you said, you know, you can get so close and, you know, we do a really good job with that. So I think, I think it's something I always look forward to. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that. Cause I mean, I've got a handful of friends that are in the service or, or were that are veterans that, that like NASCAR or love NASCAR like I do. And it's like, yeah, it'd be cool to go to a race together, but for, for whatever this Charlotte event looks like, it would be cool to have a, have something where we have a, you know, I don't know if it's a write-in, you know, nominate your family member that's a veteran to go to the NASCAR race, even if you, you know, maybe they're just on the fence about it. So we're bringing in two people that maybe are, are either on the fence or they're not NASCAR fans. And then we can give them that experience and hopefully they walk out of the weekend and then they're, then they're laying on their couch the next Sunday that's for right. the rest of their life, just like I am watching it. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, what's cool about NASCAR and, and vets. Like I said, you know, we, we tie together with service people so well, and we tie together with the outdoor industry so well, you know, our demographic of fans is, is so parallel and, you know, like you said, so many members of the NASCAR community hunt, whether it's, you know, whatever facet, whatever you're into, but there's a big percentage of people that, you know, we have a, a big percentage of us that are into the outdoors and love to hunt and love to fish and, and love all of that, you know? And I think it's so neat that it worked out so well for me to get into that as a hobby and then do this as a career too. Yeah. So let's, we've been talking about a lot of stuff, but I, I don't think I've ever heard this from you maybe i have but but you you said it was a lifelong dream to get into nascar you moved to charlotte at 18 years old but where did you where did you pick up the racing bug you know i had a friend back home and and, you know like every kid you try to get some summer work and you're going to save some money and i was working for a man back home and and he's like had an old car collection and growing up on a farm you learn to fix everything yourself you know you don't whatever needs to be repaired you just repair it and i think watching all my family do that my entire life. I just kind of had a little knack for it. And, um, I started working for this man and he, it's, uh, well, it's funny because it's, uh, it's a small world. It ended up being Jana Waller's father, Mr. Joseph. And so that's the man I was working for. And he said to me, he said, you know, Hey, you're really good at fixing these cars and maintaining my cars and you've kept them going. I have a friend that races. Would you ever be interested in racing? And I'm like, well, I'd be interested in anything. You know, 15 year old boy, your mind's wide open and you're, you're ready to try anything. He goes, well, I'll get you in touch with him. And so I went and I started racing with a guy back in Wisconsin. His name was Jason Schuler, and he raced the late models. He raced at Oregon and he raced at Kakana and he'd done some traveling and different series and stuff. And so I started racing with him and then he started 
dabbling a little bit in the Bush series when Matt Kenseth was moving up the cup and they needed a fill-in driver. So I was working with him, and I was working through an associate degree in engineering at MATC and up by Mequon. And so when I graduated that, Jason's like, man, you should just go down south and race for a couple years. You're going to transfer back to UW-Madison and finish your degree anyways. You could do this for a couple of years and come home. And I was like, that's a great idea. What a bunch of life experience that would lead. So, you know, God has a plan. And we talk about that all the time. And you can think you're in control, but you never are. So I'm like, you know, well, I won't even be able to find a job in racing. That's, that's so difficult. Well, it took me like two phone calls. And they're like, you know, I found a team. It was Michael Waltrip Racing. And um, they're like, hey, we need a tire specialist. If you're if you're young and interested in doing it, you know, we'll give you a shot at it. So I moved down. I drove. I took my last class on a Friday. And I got an uh, 88 Jeep Wrangler that my grandmother had bought me for working on the farm every summer, you know. And I put a hockey bag of clothes in the back seat. My dad gave me his last $200. And I drove to North Carolina. I remember my dad said, he's like, he goes, this will get you there, but I don't know how you're going to get home if it don't work out. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I'll figure it out. You know, I'm 17, 18 years old. So I jumped in my Jeep and I drove all day Sunday. And you, you know, like you said, at 19, you made that drive. It's a long drive. And so I got down there. Um, Sunday night, I got a hotel room. It was like a $42 motel. Very sketchy. I didn't mm. know that at the time. And then the next three nights I slept in my car and my goal was if I just made it till Saturday, I could go find an apartment on Saturday, you know? And, uh, the rest was kind of history, but I think it's important that people know that go ahead and chase your dream and and give it a shot. And if you got to sleep in your car a couple nights to make it happen, that's okay. You know, that's, that's not a problem. If if it's in God's will that you're going to do that, you can't stop it from happening. Because there's no way that I should be where I am now and have experienced all the great things I've experienced, you know, without without that being the plan. So I never did finish my degree and I regret that part of it. Um, never too late. But, you know, that's one thing I when I always speak to kids and students. I'm like, you know, you don't have to have a degree. But it doesn't hurt either. You know, and I think I think you should definitely pursue it. So. Well, I don't know how long you plan to stay in NASCAR, but you could be one of those guys that's uh, that's. Oh, there's the oldest guy. There's the 60-year-old guy that went back and got his degree after he finished his career. You, you can be that guy. Hey, I might be. I don't know. We'll see. I'm not uh, scared. I always tell everybody, my sister got the looks and the brains in the family. So she's got a couple degrees. So I figure she got enough for both of us. We'll see if I need it or not. Oh, man. So so from Waltrip, where did you, how did you get to Stuart Haas? What did that, what did that yeah, path look so, like? Yeah, so, you know, I worked at, at Michael Waltrip Racing. And then uh, just... Again, kind of, kind of without a dart without feathers, I found my way over to Roush Fenway Racing, and I was working on the Bush Series cars, and I did that till 2007, and then I kind of went on a run where I, I thought shocks was the place to be. You had to, you had to know how to build shocks back then. That was going to be the future, and that's where your career was going to take you. So. I put a lot of effort into learning that. And then when Red Bull started, I took a job to be the shock specialist over there. And then when I got over there and took the job and did it all winter. And then when the season started, they couldn't find a tire specialist. And that's what I was doing prior to that. And so they kind of asked me to do that. And I thought I could help them for a while, but that wasn't where I wanted to take my career. And so after doing that for about six or eight months, I left there, went to Michael Waltrip racing 
And Toyota was kind of the hot deal then. They were getting into the sport, 2007, 2008. And uh, I realized pretty quick that that wasn't where I wanted to be. You know, it wasn't the same Michael Waltrip that I was at when I Xfinity raced. I was out behind Michael's house working in a four-car garage. You know, he was still driving at DEI. And so when I went back to Michael Waltrip, it was a full-blown great big team. And, you know, it wasn't where I wanted to be. So I ended up going back to Roush, and I stayed there through 2012 and I wanted a car chief and I wasn't getting the opportunity at Roush that I thought I kind of deserved. And yeah, I was, I was hungry and I was eager and I was impatient. So I'm not saying I did deserve it, but at the time I thought I did. And so 2013, I was able to come to Stewart house racing and work for Ryan Newman. And so that was a really good season for me. That was a lot of growth that season. I came over we uh, faced a lot of adversity, but we had some real shining moments. You know, we won the brickyard from the pole. We uh, sat on a number of other poles, made the playoffs. It was a good season for us. But then at the end of that season, he left and he went to Richard Childress Racing. And that's when we acquired Kevin Harvick. And so they were like, well, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. So I went and talked to Ronnie Childress, who's my crew chief now. And I said, man, I, I'd like to do this. But at the time I was gassing the car and car chiefing the car. And he goes, well, you're going to have to pick one. So I thought at the time, you know, I'd have the longest longevity in the sport and the brightest future if I just car chiefed. So he gave me the opportunity, and Kevin came aboard. And I've been there ever since. So this is our 10th season with Kevin. Won a championship and I don't know, 30, 40 races together. So it's been a lot of fun. Wow. And did, so that was 2014 is when you became his car chief? 2014, yep. Isn't that the year that he won the cup? It was. Yeah, I, and my wife and I, that's the first time we ever went to Homestead. We were at Homestead in 2014 when he won it. So you and that's I, didn't, awesome. know each, you, you and I yeah. didn't know each other, but I was in the stands. Yep, that's awesome. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's God's plan. I mean, I just I just recorded another podcast before we hopped on this one, and, and my friend Bob a, is a firm, firm believer, strong Christian, and, and we just talk about God's plan. And it's it's cool just to see how we think that we're in control, but we're really not. No. And not so, ever. so that, so that's going to help me segue into, I don't know if it'll be our final question, but definitely one that I want to touch on is, is you and I are both Christ followers. So where, where did that come into your life? We talked about how you got into NASCAR, your support yeah, for veterans, your, your, your hunting. Intense deal for me. You know, I, I think a lot of people's story, and I, there's no right story, which is so fascinating. And I always reiterate that to people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're the lowest lows and he picked you up or if you just always been steady on the trail your whole life. It, it, there's no right or wrong. But for me, I was, um, I got married and I got divorced. And so growing up, my dad, you know, was a good Catholic from Wisconsin and that's their family, you know? And my mom wasn't Catholic. So when they got married way before me, that made a lot of turmoil in the family. That wasn't acceptable practice back then, you know? So my dad kind of built resentment towards it and didn't really attend the church. And I didn't grow up in church like a lot of people, you know, and, and that is what it is. That's just the facts. So I always had this draw to Christ. I always had, I don't know if it was even a calling, but like I just always had that interest and I'd always ask my dad about X, Y, or Z or what it could be and what was going on. And 
you know, I think the thing for me became really getting divorced in 2014. I was driving home from my sister's in Richmond, Virginia. At the time, you know, her husband was at Fort Lee and she was a veterinarian and she was practicing up in Richmond. And I would go up there on off weekends or for the race. And I was driving home and I remember like I'm almost in tears driving, trying to figure out how to get Christ into my life. And I'll never forget this. And I don't know that he'll remember this, but I knew at the time that Cliff Daniels, who's the crew chief for Kyle Larson was a really big Christian. And he had a, he, he was an, an open Christian, if you will, you know, he was a person that he, he would post. He was a church. And I knew that he, he, he prayed in team functions and, I said, I'll call Cliff. And I called Cliff and I said, hey, man, look, this is the weirdest call you're going to get all day. But God has put this on my heart and it's so loud that I can't stand it. Right. I can't I can't even begin to silence it. How do I know what church to go to? Where do I go? What do I do? I've got to fuel this fire. And we talked probably 45 minutes on that ride home that day. And the next day I started going to uh, the next week. I st- it was off season. So I started going to church on the following Sunday and I've journeyed through a couple of different churches. But today, like, I feel like, you know, that fuel, that fire is just raging. It's just roaring in me now. And I'm so thankful for it. And, you know, it's something that you don't even know the power of it until you experience it. Amen to that. So it's really, really been just a, a life-changing experience for me. Wow. I appreciate you sharing that with me because I never, I never heard your testimony before. And I mean, you're right. Everybody's got a unique story. And I mean, yours, similar to mine, came post-divorce. And I mean, I had tried everything. I don't know if you saw my post on social media a few weeks ago, but I mean, I'm, I did. I'm eight years sober. And, and I tried to fill that hole in my soul with everything fill in the blanks. I mean, I never got into drugs at all, but I mean, everything else that you can imagine, it was square peg in a round hole. And the only thing that finally fit was Jesus. Yeah. And, and I know you and I love, you and I love NASCAR, you and I love hunting, but we love the Lord. And every time we talk, whether it's at the racetrack or through text or, or on the phone, our conversation always comes back to that. And I love that about, about our relationship. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, I think we always give the glory to him because we know that's the only way that two lost souls like us could be sitting here doing this today. You know, sinners saved by grace, brother. That's right. Amen. to that. <laughs> Man, that's good. So, so looking forward to 2024, you know, you guys just announced who's going into the four car. What, yeah. what are your, what, what are your, I don't want to put the cart in front of the horse, but what are your, what are your thoughts on the, on the Josh Berry thing? Um, you know, I think, I think that Stuart Haas was able to lock down the best option they had. You know, he's, he's an incredible, incredible man. Um, I, I've been impressed at the outpouring of people and the support inside the support of people that have interacted with them. You know, I've had members from the 48 team where he just filled in members of the nine team where he filled in, just come up to me and be like, Hey man, you got, you really got you guys a good one right there. He's just an incredible person. He's got his head screwed on straight. He's he's focused on the right things. You know, one thing that Rodney and I have really talked about with the four team 
it was important to get somebody that can race and can win. That's, that's first and foremost, but there's a lot of kids out there that can race and win that aren't plugged in, aren't focused on the right things, don't have the maturity. And Josh does. So, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement that comes with that. You know, I, I tell people all the time, Jolie Logano is a multi-time champion of our sport. I, I don't think anybody ever thought he couldn't race. But when Joey started at Gibbs, he wasn't mature enough to win championships. It wasn't till later in life. And now it's like every year in the Final Four, there's Joey. Because he's found that platform to function from. Josh already has that. So we're excited to see what his ceiling can be and, and, and how good he can do. You know, we're an established team. We feel like we're competitive every year. And, you know, obviously some better than others. And you're never going to hit it every year. But but we're really, really thankful to have Josh Berry as the next candidate for that car. I think that it was important to us to find somebody that was a good person, if you will. You know, that, that means as much to us to go into work every day and, and be committed and do it at this level to do it for a really good person. You know, you don't want to do it for a guy that's just not living his life like you want to be represented by. And so sadly in every sport, there is some of that and there's some unknowns. And I think with Josh, we know that he's a really good person. He's capable of winning. He's going to do whatever he can to be the best version of him to put himself in the best place to win the most races and get 10 for championships. And that's what our team focuses on. No, that's cool. I'm excited to see how he does. I mean, obviously I don't know the man, but just, just being a, being a HMS fan and, and, you know, junior motorsports on the, on the Xfinity side. I mean, he's obviously, he's got a lot of talent and, you know, there's speculation abounds on social media and on the internet. When, when those seats open up, it's like, who's going to fill it. And the keyboard warriors are like, Oh yeah, they're going to put a young guy in there. And it's like, Josh Berry's 32 years old. He's too old. But I think, I think what you just said there speaks volumes because He's been there. He's done that. He's got that maturity. So, so that's something that you can't give an 18 year old kid. Yeah. I think, you know, I think, uh, even when there's not really many examples that go against what I'm saying. And there's, there's some, we know that, but for the most part, the sweet spot of a driver's career to win championships isn't 18, you know, it is 30 and it's going to be 30 and up. And now with the way these guys are taking care of themselves and treating themselves like athletes and, realizing just how much their health is and part of it as well. It's really pushing back the age even more like Kevin Harvick's in the best shape of his career today at 45. I mean, he's, he's a machine right now. And so when you look at that, it's like, well, he's not retiring because he's old and lost his edge and can't do it. You know, he's just moving on to bigger and better things. So the age number isn't what it once was, you know, we're not, burning out his shoulder, throwing pitches for years and years and years, you know, and the cars are safer than they've ever been. So he's got a ton of longevity ahead of him to build a career still. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's exciting. Now the big question, does he hunt? <laughs> I don't know, but if he doesn't, we're going to work on it. You know that <laughs> I'm going to try to convert him. I, I know, I know a guy that makes a pretty good site. So yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, I think the next hunting trip on my agenda is going to be uh, young Keelan Harvick. I think we're going to try to get him out this fall and uh, 
do some whitetail hunting and maybe even some fall turkey. I don't, I don't know why, but the kid asks me about turkey every time I see him. So I keep that planted in the back of his brain. Very cool. Very cool. Well, yes, if he sir. ever gets a, if he ever gets a bow, you just send me a text and we'll have an HHA on his, on his bow in no time. So <laughs> yes, sir. He'll, he'll be lucky to have it too. Thank you for that. <laughs> you bet. Well, man, I don't know. We, we've touched on a lot of stuff. I've one thing I got to do is apologize for, I'm almost a hundred episodes in. And you've been on my mind to have on a podcast for a long time, but that's, uh, I guess that's God's timing and, and we're definitely going right. to do this again. Absolutely, man. You say when, and I'll be there. It's a lot of fun. I always enjoy chatting with you, man. No, I do too. So, well, I know you're on, uh, you're on social media, so obviously people can, can follow, uh, follow Stuart Haas and, and Kevin Harvick and Josh Berry. But if people want to, want to try to connect with you and follow, follow you, where can they do that? Yeah. Instagram, you know, you can look me up on there. It's a uh, cheddar underscore 1983 and, Look me up and give me a follow and check out whatever activity I'm getting into that week. Sounds good. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I had this in my notes and in the back of my mind to ask you this and I never have, but I have to ask the origin of the, of the nickname. Is, is it a Wisconsin thing? Where'd that come from? Yeah, man. 18 years old. I moved to North Carolina and my boss is like, what's your name? I said, well, it's Bob Smith. And they're like, no, that's not going to work. You're going to be cheddar. And I hated it. And that stuck. <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. I love it. I love it. So, well, we will, uh, we will definitely be in touch as, uh, as the playoffs heat up here and, and you get into fall and, uh, yeah, just, just looking forward to, like you said, it's not a matter of, of if, but when this, uh, this event comes together in, in Charlotte and I've got a God's, God's bringing the pieces together one at a time. So I'll, uh, I'll fill you in a little bit more when we, uh, when we hit stop here and, and we won't be able to share that with our listeners for, for a little while, but I'll give you a little inside scoop. So, well, one thing we know is that every event you do is all out and it's going to be awesome. So when it comes together, I'll look forward to it. I appreciate that brother. And we look forward to having you be a part of it. So we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon and stay, uh, stay fast out there. All right, man. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. As we wrap up this week, I wanted to say thank you all for listening to the HHA USA podcast. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To stay up to date on all the latest news and events, follow HHA USA on Facebook and Instagram. You can also follow host Chris Ham on Instagram at ChrisHam2517. That's Chris Ham with two M's, 2517. If you'd like to support our cause, donations can be made through our website, www.hhausa.org. You can also purchase HHA USA branded hats, shirts, tumblers, and challenge coins at www.hhasports.com. Also, Thrivent members, you can use your Thrivent Choice dollars to support HHA USA as well. And last but not least, please don't forget to follow the HHA USA podcast on all your favorite podcast apps and tell your friends to do the same. I'm Logan Chartrand, and the HHA USA podcast is a Whizbang Media production.